Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Sophia. And this is Every Rom-Com, the podcast that has fun taking romantic comedies seriously. Today in Every Rom-Com, we'll be talking about Bell, Book, and Candle. It's a film that is new to both of us. We had never seen it before. And it's a bewitching little love story uh, starring Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart. So, Sophia, how have you been this week? Oh, just fine. Nothing much. Nothing much to talk about these days. I did yoga today. How about you? How are you doing? How was your week? I did not do any yoga. I did some yoga yesterday, though, so that's good. Um, Other than researching this podcast, which... This podcast may end up being the podcast that I research the most for because I just kept falling down fascinating internet research holes. Yeah. But <laughs> but yeah. other than that, um, my husband and I have been also watching uh, Victorian Farm, which you can find on Amazon Prime. And it's these British archaeologists and a historian who like recreate what it was like to live and work on a real Victorian farm. And you learn all this like really nerdy stuff about, you know, operating a farm in that time wow. period. And there's also a Tudor farm and a Edwardian farm and a World War II farm. But I don't think those are on Amazon. I think you have to like go hunting on YouTube for those. Okay. But anyway, other than like this podcast, the films for this podcast, that's what we've been nerding out on. I think that's great. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know anything. I have a garden. I didn't put one in this summer. I'm like, wait a minute. How do things grow? Wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, I don't know anything. Um, so far removed from the earth and the workings, yeah. of, like the weather. And there are books and I've, I've tempted to get them like um, so about that. Like how do one's called like how to sew a button. Another one's called how to let, make a fire, you know, at, like yeah. out in the woods or whatever. These basic things. And then like how to, how to read the weather. Um, yeah. I think that's, Yes, maybe a little geeky, but I also think valuable. Yeah, um, in no, a world, it makes me feel. Oh, go ahead. Well, in a world so you know far removed from that. <laughs> yeah, where we're talking to each other on the internet about films that we saw on streaming, right? And we live right. like hundreds of miles apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I can't keep a plant alive. That's not entirely <laughs> true. That's not entirely true, but it feels that way. Well, today's film is going to involve witches and witchcraft, but it's not going to be the kind of witches who can keep plants alive necessarily. It is some very urban witches, and we're going to get into it in just a second here after we hear a little bit from the trailer for Bell, Book, and Candle. Ring the bell, close the book, quench the candle. I'm one. You're one what? One of the people that the book's about, and Nikki's one too. You're naive, boy. You know they 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 got these little trade secrets. They got them right there, close and tight. They're not. I could never get near a deal like that. You, you are nearer than you think. Jack, I will. I'd like to hear that again. I want to, and I'll be different from now. And I swear, I promise. I don't want you in a different. Not at all. I want to be. I want to be. I want to be quite different. No. I won't stand for it. (laughs) (laughs) So you might have recognized some famous voices in that trailer, especially Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart. And this film was released in 1958 and it came out the same year it was made and came out the same year as Vertigo. So that year Vertigo came out in May and then Bell Book and Candle was actually released on December 25th. I found out. Okay. (laughs) It's funny that it's like a, 
holiday movie, a Christmas movie. Yeah. That doesn't. Yeah, the opening scene, there's there's sort of like a brief nod to Christmas music and this kind of Christmas tree made out of these ornaments that have been yeah. kind of hung in the air, like in a Christmas tree shape. So, yeah. And I found out my in-laws, some of my in-laws actually watch this movie every year around Christmas time because it's okay, sort no, of no. like a, a quasi Christmas movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I, I did not know. I did not know. Yeah. I don't know that I would still... Now that I do know, still call it like, you know, would watch it anywhere near Christmas time. See, I think it fits in really well because it's one of those like uh, sort of a nightmare before Christmas. It's one of those transitional movies. So you kind of just got done with Halloween and then you're about to get into Christmas. You want something that's a little bit of both. It works for me that way. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so... Let's see, we've got, this film is directed by somebody I've actually never heard of before. Sorry. His name is Richard Quine. I looked in his IMDb page. The only other thing I'd heard of he'd done is World of Susie Wong, which I saw a long time ago, so I don't remember very well. Yeah. But the writer's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but it's John Van Druten, D-R-U-T-E-N. And he also has fame from being... Uh, one of the inspirations for the film Cabaret was his play, I Am a Camera. Yeah. yeah I thought I that was pretty that cool. Too. Have you seen that? or Which uh, Cabaret? Oh, I Am a Camera. I Am a no, Camera. I, no, neither, yeah. to be honest. Um, oh, really? Okay. I feel, like, I feel like I've seen parts of Cabaret. I don't, I don't know. But I read that too, and I thought that was super cool. Yeah. So anyway, we do have a famous creator there. And the other screenwriter was kind of known for doing adaptations. Like he also was the screenwriter for uh, changing the novel from here to eternity into a film. So you've got some pretty talented people doing and the I, work on this film. I see that you have a uh, picnic as well, which I haven't um, seen that. Have you seen that one? I have not, but I did read that Kim Novak was in that. Yeah. So, so that would be the other screenwriter, Daniel Teradash, mm-hmm. who did picnic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it has a kind of an interesting little plot too. Well, we've got Kim Novak, who's playing a character named Gillian. Please say the last name for me. I I think they kind of do like, wait a minute. I lost it. Hang on. Hollywood. 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 Yeah, it's spelled H-O-L-Y-R-O-D. Yes. So Gillian Hollywood. And she's part of an underground society of witches in New York City. And along with her aunt named Queenie and her brother named Nikki. Nikki is played by Jack Lemmon. And... One day she's kind of bored and she sees Jimmy Stewart, who plays a publisher named Shepard Henderson. And she decides that she wants, you know, to have a relationship with him. And at first she's a little reluctant because he has a fiance, but then she finds out her fiance, his fiance is this college rival of hers who had uh, been kind of a jerk to her. And so she's like, well, maybe I'll bewitch this guy after all. (laughs) And so Jimmy Stewart falls in love with her. Uh, Shep falls in love with her. And at the same time, there's this uh, writer, this kind of wacky writer guy who wrote a book called Magic in Mexico, and they draw him with their magic to New York. And then he starts uh, writing a book about witches in New York. Yeah. Anything to add to our basic facts? No, that sounds good. Well, the reason that I I don't think this is a spoiler, that um, (laughs) uh, Gilly, you know, summons... uh, the writer Sydney oh, yeah. is mm-hmm. because um, Shep wants to do a book deal with him. He's like, Oh, if I had this guy writing for me, I'd be, you know, I'd be rich. Yeah. So, so 
He just happens to mention that to her. Well, yeah. And it's not because he has a great passion for witchcraft. He actually kind of believes it's bunk, but he just wants to like kind of publish what sells. Like right. he makes reference to the Kinsey report, which was like hugely successful at the time. So yep. yeah, pr- pretty interesting topical references. So I'm curious, Sophia, what did you think of the film? Like in general? Um. So as I was watching it the first time, I'm like, this is weird. I This is wild. And I don't know if <laughs> wild in a good way. Like I kind of thought, and it, as I feel like movies of of your, um, their pacing is kind of slow. So I'm like, I don't know I, I, if I'm going to get through this in one sitting. That was my intention. But I'm like, if it's not, mm-hmm. then I'm going to pause. Um, and plus I felt a little obligated to go like, you know, hang with my family a little bit but so did I you was watch like, it on your own then it wasn't it wasn't one that you would watch with your family necessarily oh my unfortunately our seven-year-old would not sit through this she has oh, okay, been a sport okay. a couple times and have sat through um some older flicks um yeah and and she she's like i really didn't like it and we're like okay fine so i yeah totally did this one on my own and um i wound up watching the whole thing in one sitting and it got better for me but I was I still had like I was like I don't know I don't buy it. what I, I even made like suspension of belief I couldn't do it I'm like I don't know the second time watching I'm like all right all right I, it's fine I can let it all <laughs> why do you think that was I think I was just more forgiving <laughs> I think the first time I was just you know there's different tone in older films and it, yeah. you know, it takes a minute to get used to. And I get, just kept trying to think like, oh, I bet you, you know, my mom or my aunt, when they watched this, that was, you know, ha, ha, they knew what to expect. Do you know? Yeah. They- you know, for me, I find the tone of older films actually super refreshing. So for me, it's actually a selling point mm-hmm. that the the pacing is slow and that there's kind of cheesy things happen sometimes. And, and then of course you've got the beautiful film stock and everything, but right. yeah, I think for once in a while, there's nothing I want to watch more than like, especially the era when it just gone into color, but before things got kind of seventies and grainy, like that, like, something in that exact area just sometimes hits the spot for me. So worked for me in that way. It, you know, and there are definitely other older films that on first viewing, I didn't have this, that that feeling this like this is wild and i don't know <laughs> good wild or a bad wild so it just didn't i don't know that i'm gonna watch it again i just don't know okay if story endeared me you know um, yeah so like i think i would watch it again just for the cat which we'll talk about a little bit later the yeah. gillian's familiar but yeah i love a I love a good rom-com cat and this is one of the standouts <laughs> and I think so an- Another thing I love about this movie, though, is that it's really an example. It's a good example of a rom-com that kind of reflects the cultural concerns of its time. And like it's like a little bit of a time capsule, but I think in a good way, uh, just dealing with women's roles in society on the cusp of changing. And then the witchcraft theme, which we're going to get into later, like it's very rich and it relates to a lot of things that were going on at the time. So I like that. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a fan of Vertigo, by the way, the, the other film that uh, Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart appeared in that year? Um, I think I saw it once all okay. the way through. So you know, not a big fan. Um, 
you know, it's again, it's not one of those cozy cuddle up films. Um, again, I thought <laughs> I've also only seen uh, birds once um, because they're creepy and they're weird. The, the only Hitchcock film that I watch on repeat is Rear Window. And that's um, interesting because I find Rear Window a lot creepier than uh, Vertigo, to be honest. But yeah, we're creeped out by different things. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting they came out the same year. I guess it was some issue with like Vera Miles, I want to say, was supposed to originally be in Vertigo, but she couldn't be in it. And so they made a deal where Kim Novak would be in that movie and then Jimmy Stewart would appear in Bell Book and Candles. So you get these two back to back. And it's like they they were said to have pretty great rapport, or mm-hmm. at least that's what Kim Novak said, that they have really great rapport as actors. Mm-hmm. And I think so. I think that comes across. Yeah. Like Jimmy Stewart seems very different to me when he acts against Kim Novak. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really feel him like as a sexual being in some of his other films. Like, I don't really get that coming from him. But when he's with Kim Novak, he, he's just like radiating intensity at times. Well, she's stunning. I couldn't keep my eyes off her. <laughs> I'm like, my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm like, could I, can I just walk around like her? And like, <laughs> you know, she would breathe and I'm like, oh my, wow. <laughs> gosh, you're, you're stunning. So yeah, she really is. I'm with Jimmy on that one. That she's, <laughs> she's, yeah. she's amazing. And, but she's also got sort of like an ethereal quality. I want to say like a mysterious quality. Mm-hmm. Like her voice is very breathy at times and uh-huh. soothing, but uh-huh. Jimmy Stewart's very earthy and almost like irritating at times, like the way he talks. Yeah. Okay. So some stuff I read about Jimmy Stewart and in regards to this film and whatnot was like, and just his career, you know, I feel like really I'm, I know him so well from Vertigo that that's kind of the role that I. So not It's a Wonderful Life. I'm not, not sorry. Not, not Vertigo. Um, rear Window. Okay. Window. Yeah, not even It's a Wonderful Life. I don't think I've seen that all the way through. Oh every my year, goodness. I know. Every year it would come on on Christmas and dad would be like, oh, not again. And it would turn oh, it. No. So it's like, See, we're the opposite. My dad loved that movie. My dad like felt that the, the main character is like some sort of like a uh, version of him. Like, so oh. we watched it every year, every year. I mean, I, I, I know it's just, it just, it wound up that way where it was like, I still haven't seen that all the way through. I have. I have, I do know the whole story all the way through though. So um, what were you going to say though about Jimmy Stewart and what he right. was talking so about? So I, I think I hold all of his performances and such against, yeah, like Rear Window, Rear Window, yeah. even Vertigo. Um, I think that, what is the other one? The Man Who Knew Too Much? Isn't he I in that one? That I saw that. Either. So like all the Hitchcock, yeah. right? Not so much the comedies. And so when I see him in those roles and his, his shtick, I'm like, it just feels like that to me. It's like, oh, mm. that's that Jimmy Stewart shtick. And I felt have, yeah. I felt yeah. some of that in this. And so it, it turned me off. I'm like, what mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Some actors like really like have a thing that they do, a tone of voice, uh facial expressions. Like and others disappear. Like you get a Daniel Day Lewis, he disappears, but you get right. like a Jimmy Stewart, or I think to some extent a Kim Novak, and they are a thing. You right. Know, you put them in the movie, they're gonna do that thing. Yeah. And it's it's great, but it can also be a weakness if you just get too used to seeing them as, you know, one version of that thing. Yeah. yeah. Also, it should be noted. It's interesting. Like originally you said that you thought Jimmy Stewart was like kind of too old to play this role. Uh-huh. Not, because, not because of the age difference per se, but because the character seems a little bit uh, easily fooled. 
but yeah, in oblivious. Fact, like, Stuart was 50 and Kim Novak yeah. was 25 at yeah, the time. I saw that. I read that I'm too. Like, I'm like, wow. Yeah. And yeah. actually her, the aunt character, Queenie, was only like six years older than Stuart. So, <laughs> so he's playing this like doddering old lady and like, yeah. yeah. Really, yeah. she should be the the romantic lead if in a fair world. But there you go. Right. I read that too. That um, even he felt he was a little too old for that. Yeah. This young woman would not fall for this older man. Um, I mean, Kim Novak seems older than her years from my sure. perspective. But I, I think agree. it's partly because of the styles of makeup and hair that people wore at that time. That right. a lot of people looked older than they were. Yeah, you don't see a lot of twenty five year olds these days wearing fabulous gowns. No, I know. Yeah. Totally. So so there's some really interesting supporting actors in this cast. Like we already mentioned, um, was it Elsa Lanchester who plays Queenie, the aunt? Mm -hmm. And you had seen her in some other things. Uh, A Gilbert family favorite uh, is uh, Murder by Death. And she plays the Miss Marple character. Um, I'm not going to get in. If you haven't seen it, whatever. But it's it's... It's a spoof on, um, and then there were none. Okay. Uh, and I noticed that her, I, I did recognize her, and you had said that she was in Mary Poppins, and indeed mm-hmm. she was Katie Nana in Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. But, like, this woman, when I looked at her MB, IMDb, she had a career for, what, like, 80, 84 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, not 84 years career. She was 84 years old. She had had a career from 1925 to 1986. That is a long career. That is yeah. very impressive. That's awesome. So I was like, go you. Yeah. <laughs> then we've got some more famous people. Jack Lemon. This is a movie he did right before Some Like It Hot. And he plays Gillian's brother, who's kind of like very pro-witch and anti-falling in love with Shep. Or anybody, got, I think. Yeah, or anybody. Yeah. Or anybody. Yeah. Just no love. Yeah. And Hermione Gingold, who originally I mistook for being from a different movie, but who was in fact in The Music Man as the Mayor Shin's wife. So she's hilarious. Uh-huh. And then we've got Ernie Kovacs, who was famous for doing this like weird, absurdist TV show, which when I looked it up on YouTube is totally dated. <laughs> but he was big. He was a big deal at the time. My dad used to show me clips of his. <laughs> and then per, poor Merle, poor Merle, the, the per, person who plays a uh, Jimmy Stewart's fiance is played by Janice Rule, and she is the jilted fiance character in this movie. Anyone who impressed you in that cast, or um, who stood out for me? Um, if anyone, that Ernie guy. He Ernie was... Kovacs. Oh yeah, well, I didn't say what he played. He plays the author of Magic in Mexico, Sidney Redlich, who they the witches summon to New York to make a write a book for Shep. Anyway, yeah, yeah, he was wild. Um, in a, in a fun way, in a good way, I was like, "Who is this guy? Who is this <laughs> character?" And that he um, drinks through the whole film is hilarious because he does it like he, you know, he has a drink and then he fixes himself another one, and and then he's like, "All right, well, let's go get a drink." And you're like, <laughs> he "Drinks even more than the other people in 1950s movies." I mean, yes. it really is like Mad Men. People are just drinking all the time. Uh, I got a kick out of his performance because it was he was so weird and. Um, yeah fantastic yeah he had a lot of presence i think Mm -hmm. yeah and my favorite co-star however in this movie was the cat pie wacket pie (laughs) i'm sort of obsessed with pie wacket like um it was a siamese cat 
And I heard like, I was looking on the internet trying to figure out like, you know, what, how many cats were actually in the movie? Cause of course you're not usually going to have one animal, uh-huh. but um, the reports ranged from like nine to, I found an interview with Kim Novak, like after a screening where she actually said there were 19 cats, which seems like a lot, but yeah. you know, that's the only place where I could find some, an original source, a primary source of someone who was in the movie. So there could have been up to 19 pie wackets. Um, there's a rumor that Kim Novak adopted one of the cats. I don't think that's true. She didn't say anything about that, but she did say that she herself had a cat named Pie Wacket prior to being in the movie because she had seen the play and gotten a cat and named it Pie Wacket. So that's kind of an interesting uh, coincidence. And I'm really interested in also in the fact that this cat won something called a Patsy Award, a Picture Animal Top Star of the Year Award which was produced by the American Humane Association. They don't give out those awards anymore, but yeah. I, thought that was, I thought that was pretty cute. Uh, Pie Wackett's performance was... But which so one? If there regarded. were 12 cats, well, you which know, one got the... Oh. The collective. Oh, okay. The collective okay. of Pie Wackett's. <laughs> yeah, Kim Novak said there was like one that they just kept really well fed, so it would just stay still and purr. And there was like one that had really nice eyes, probably used for the wacky close-up. And there was one that like jumped and ran and stuff, so... Wow. <laughs> oh, and before, like, I want you definitely to talk about the thing you were interested about Pie Wacket, but um, the the name Pie Wacket has a really weird origin. So Pie Wacket is in the movie as the witches as Gillian's familiar, but I didn't really understand that familiar in, in original meaning of familiar was supposed to be like a animal or a creature given to you by the devil. Okay. <laughs> and, and it was supposed to help you perform your magic. And it could be like any kind of thing. Like there was the, the name Piwak, it comes from actually the witch finder general, Matthew Hopkins in the 1600s said that he'd found a witch that had all these different familiars. And one of them was named Piwak. It, it was not described as a cat. It was a, described as an imp, whatever that is. And one of the other familiars of this witch had something like the head of a greyhound and the body of something else. It was really weird. Really weird stuff. If you ever want to entertain yourself, read about Pie Wackett's name origin. Wow. Yeah. Right, that's, one of the, that's one of the internet holes I, I, I sunk into researching about this movie. I can see why. I did not. I figured, well, you're doing <laughs> okay. it, so... I'll, and, I'll, and you have a child, so it's always... Oh, well, you know. No, no, no. That's not, oh, well, you know. <laughs> I'm just saying these times right now we're I don't know, we're not doing too much. So it's not like I have to pick her up from school or blah, blah, blah. I make sure she's kind of fed. And so we're okay. <laughs> I'm and then sure she's not hurting that. herself in some way, shape or form. Um, what I, okay. The thing about pie wagon, first of all, when the Siamese cat came out, I'm like, Ooh, those cats are creepy, but um, <laughs> that's not fair at all. My, my in-laws had, Siamese cats for the 15 years that I, you know, was at their house and, and when they had those cats and they were lovely. I love those cats. The tramp, man. Yeah. I know. Right. That's where they get the bad rap. But um, <laughs> no, the Siamese kitties at my husband's childhood home were always lovely. So um, that's just, it's just profiling. Um, <laughs> so, but what I liked visually what they did with the cat um i thought it was more than this but on the second time i watched the film i really only noticed twice where they 
use like a point of view from the cat's perspective yeah and they do a cool like it's not entirely fisheye either but they do a different tint and and i enjoyed that visual i'm like ooh, cool spooky but i also wondered what the point was and um do you have thoughts on that like what was the point of besides other being a cool visual well, I think, yeah, it's probably meant to show that Pie Wacket is like carrying out Gillian's or somebody else's bidding at those times. Okay. Yeah, and probably helping with the spell, maybe. Yeah. Well, right. The first time I noticed um, is right after she casts her spell. Um, and then the second time, it's when it's looking out the window from Queenie's mm. apartment onto mm. the street. Do you remember what? Piwacket was looking at at the time or well right nobody was there okay. it was just the street and she's like Piwacket, okay. what are you doing up here you said well jillian's calling for him and she yeah. you know he won't come so yeah. yeah it's a mystery but it's cool it's a cool effect cool effect Piwacket cool vision <laughs> yeah well here we so let's i have witchcrafty questions my gosh there's <laughs> a lot do tell Detail. So one of the reasons um, I chose this film again, and, and one of these days my co-hosts are going to choose the film over me and I'm just going to go with it. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's all I'm saying. But this movie, I was like looking at what the Criterion streaming channel had that was new and they have a ton of new stuff this month. But the thing that really stuck out to me was this movie about looking candle. I'd never heard of it before. And it's like Kim Novak, Jimmy Stewart in a movie about witchcraft and it's a rom-com and it came out the same year as Vertigo. And I'm like, yes. And what was interesting about this is that uh, about a month or so ago, I started like studying witchcraft and like practicing it on a very amateur level. Like there's a lot of misconceptions about witchcraft. Like you can practice it as any type of religion, you don't have to be Wiccan. In fact, to be Wiccan, you have to actually be initiated, right? So people will just practice, people who are Buddhist or Christian or whatever will practice witchcraft sometimes in some way, shape or form. But yeah, that's why I chose it. And if you have questions about witchcraft, I can answer that. I mean, I guess in its depiction in the film in, <laughs> in, in, in compared to what's yeah. true or not, you know, I mean, and even that's part of a th- part of the thing in the stories like oh you know gillian says the book magic in mexico oh it's all drivel it's not real yeah, and yeah. then jack or not jack well jack lemon's character nikki mm-hmm. um then starts to work with the author being like i gotta tell, <laughs> tell the truth about it and you know tell yeah for a share of the profits for yeah, some sure. of the profits and for a share of the profits so yeah. i mean so what does the movie basically get right? Like not much from what I can tell. Like, uh-huh. um, so it's interesting because this movie is coming out like in an atmosphere of witchcraft is actually starting to be more prominent and around the world, mostly in England and the writers from England. So I'm wondering if that has something to do with it. Uh-huh. Like w- Wicca, as we know, it was developed in the late thirties and forties by a man named Gerald Gardner in uh, England And he actually sort of made it more public, came out with a book called Witchcraft Today in 1954. So something like Magic in Mexico, I don't know if that's making a reference to that or if there were other books like that coming out at the time. But but that's like him coming out as a Wiccan, basically, because in England, they had witchcraft laws on the books until 1951. They only repealed the anti-witchcraft laws in 1951. 
And they actually had a, a convicted someone of witchcraft in 44. And I think it had more to do with politics because it was during World War II. And she had kind of revealed uh, a secret about uh, a battle during a seance. Oh, it's, it's still unclear whether there's any way she could have known about that without an actual spiritual connection to somebody who died in that battle. But in any case, I think it had probably had less to do with witchcraft and more to do with state secrets. I think that's kind of how it all went, didn't it? Like even in American history, like it had less to do with uh, witchcraft than like some woman was holding land and somebody wanted to take it. No witchcraft. She's a witch. And then, you know, usurp her land or something like that. So there's all kinds of political interests Mm -hmm. going on. So wait, we were going to talk about though, like, like what was accurate in the movie. So the movie has its own little witchcraft lore. And in the movie, like you're like, what is it again? You you can't cry if you're a witch, you can't blush and you can't fall in love. And so the first one, you can't cry if you're a witch. There is actually like some kind of historical mythology about that. Like they used to use that as evidence. If you couldn't cry that you were a witch. And I, and I guess like some people were tortured for like days and like they just couldn't cry anymore or something. But, and so too bad for them. And probably even if you could cry, they would be like, well, you're faking it. So like, (laughs) so you really couldn't win, but so they got that part right. But the fine love and blushing, I think that's more, you know, the writer's liberty and why not? I mean, it's right. I mean, the other stuff in the movie, they're like making a, they're using a, a special paint to summon that, um, the writer, that author. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it all, it makes it look so fast and quick too. It's like you, you snap your fingers or you say an incantation and something happens. Like, whereas if you see like people practicing modern witchcraft, they'll do spells that take them like months to develop or they'll have to repeat them, et cetera, et cetera. And even then, like, you know, I, I'm not practicing with the idea that like, it's definitely going to work. I'm just practicing with a, why not? This focuses my energy. It gives me something to do to relieve my anxiety it actually is very helpful for my anxiety because instead of ruminating about something or worrying about it, I'm now just taking an action. And even if it's like a superstitious action, it still channels that energy. And you're like, well, I did something about it. And I'd be remiss though, if we didn't mention also that this wasn't just that this movie was made, not just in an era of actual witchcraft kind of becoming more prominent, but this is right after McCarthyism, like right at the tail end of McCarthyism, the house on American activities committee where they were trying to like root out communists in Hollywood. There's a right. reference to that in the movie. Right. Like, yeah. Jimmy Stewart's mm-hmm. like, you haven't been doing anything on American. And she's like, Oh, I'd say very American, early American. <laughs> that was fun. That was a good one. Yeah. That was a good reference. Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah, and apparently the Crucible, which was a you know the famous play by Arthur Miller about mm-hmm. witchcraft and the witchcraft trials in Salem, was written partly in response to uh, McCarthyism. So this is just a really ripe time for this movie. Like it's really getting the zeitgeist. I think. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I just appreciated that comment. You know, are you doing anything un-American? And yeah, very. Um, Early American. Early American. <laughs> yeah. Which is very clever. Because, right, I mean, if you know any history, yeah, you would know that what, what he's referring to. Um, you talked about uh, if you, unless you have any other thoughts or comments you wanted, witchcraft as a stand-in for other things. Oh, wait, before I mention, before you mention sure. that, though, I feel like if I don't mention the, 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 the bell, book, and candle, the actual title, 
Like in the movie, there's like this like explanation that it's about what you say to exercise a witch. But in fact, it, it's a phrase that's used to excommunicate people from the Catholic Church. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. It, and, and because it's an excommun- excommunication from the church, like kind of banning people to hell, it kind of got tied up with the idea of witchcraft at one point. That's all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That makes good sense. They use it twice in the film, right? I don't remember. I just remember the part where Ernie Kovacs' character uh, does the little like, the phrase, like, mm-hmm. ring the bell, close the book, quench the candle. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, it sounds like a ritual unto it. itself, you yeah. know? So... Yeah. And so we were going to talk about like a little bit too, about like, not just with the witches themselves or related to McCarthyism, but like, there are a lot of like, what could witchcraft be referring to beyond just like the obvious? And what do you think, Sophia? Like, what would your opinion be? It just, you know, it refers to otherness and and at least my, my other favorite, my, my very favorite witchy film is, um, practical magic and it seems that there's always a character that wants to fit in that you know because everybody thinks they're weird and Mm -hmm. and that's what Gillian wants to she's like don't you just wish we could have just Christmas and couldn't it just be singing carols like you know she's instead of listening to bongo drums and she's and, in this, like, and the, that that french singer i know that's all very cool why would you want to <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a lot of fun um so you know witchcraft use as a is having a feeling of otherness being other and wanting to fit in but usually coming to terms with like i'm okay with who i am or you know well at least in our modern era yeah at least in our modern era yeah, yeah. Yeah, we won't spoil the film. But wouldn't we also say that beatnik culture beatnik culture was considered under it was also under scrutiny under that McCarthyism? Like they were this other people and you know I don't know enough about it, but I do think, yeah, they were probably considered like, yeah, strange. Yeah. Like strange. the hippies in the sixties would go on to be like they're the kind of the precursor to the hippies. Right. So you've got scenes in this club called the Zodiac. <laughs> this guy wearing this crazy like turban thing asking people star signs by the way Shep is a Pisces like me <laughs> <laughs> and and then the, they're in this beatnik club playing the bongo drums there's like you said the French singer so you've got another level of otherness with being from a foreign country mm-hmm. and then you've got other references to foreignness because Gillian in the most of the movie is running a primitive art gallery like African and oceanic art and so right. there's this like Right now, this like the opening would never happen. It would be canceled and justifiably so. There's an opening where they have all the cast members' names next to these like African masks. Yeah, and, and I'm just like, dude, Killmonger from Black Panther is coming for this credit sequence. And I'm like, what is? I, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like. And I'm but, like, were they know. trying to like match people's? I'm pretty names sure. character yeah. to those faces, and I'm like, ooh, okay, that's yeah, it's a bit awkward. That's not okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a bit awkward. Fortunately, like the movie leans away from that type of thing. Like, uh, unless you count that the fact that Sydney Redlich's next book is going to be possibly Voodoo Among the Virgins, which <laughs> right. Or, I don't know too much about that either, but he is supposed to be a ridiculous character too. He is, although he he does talk about um, you know witches in in Manhattan. They're among us now, and he go, and he's going to call it magic in Manhattan. I'm like, that's a fantastic title. Is there no rom com named Magic in Manhattan? I think there actually might be, but I'm not positive. So yeah, what a great. We will look into it. 
we'll look into it after right, the that, show. that hit rom-com, Magic in Manhattan. I, I digress. Um, otherness, what about you? What would you... Well, a lot of the a lot of the witch movies will deal with feminist issues. Um, For sure, I think this one it's a key example. So, like prior to this movie, like the main Hollywood witches were maybe like the evil witch in uh, oh, Snow White, which scared my like grandparents, I think, or maybe my great uncles. And then, um, then you had your Wicked Witch of the West, and of course, the Good Witch in Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. And then there was another movie, which I did not watch, but it was in the forties called I married a witch with Veronica Lake and Frederick March. Okay. And then you come to bell book and candle and they're all kind of different iterations of what a woman can be. And Gillian is really struggling between, you know, her practice, her witchcraft, her power, and this opportunity to love someone because if witches can't fall in love, she does have to choose. So, yeah. <laughs> Golly. And we're going to, we're going to now go into like a kind of spoilerful section of the podcast possibly. So if you haven't seen the movie and you just want to stop listening now, I would recommend that you do so. You don't want to be spoiled because we're going to start talking about more about Gillian's choices in the movie. Sounds good. Great. (laughs) So, so we've come to the part where Gillian is, has made Shep fall in love with her. They're together for, I think it's like, what, two weeks? Like yeah. he references, it's been two weeks. <laughs> Golly. Two it seems like they've been getting busy, though. Like there were there were definitely like um, yeah. references to sexuality happening without showing it. Mm-hmm. Like a naked, they have, they're sitting on a, a couch fully clothed, but their feet are naked and touching each other. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I see what you're doing there. Oh, and they're, they're going to go out dancing. And he's like, why? We could, I like it right here. And she's like, come on now. We're going dancing. Basically. And then and then when they go dancing, they're, you know, hardly moving on the dance floor. They're just holding each other. And I'm like, yeah, should have just stayed home. So they have this whirlwind, like two weeks sort of like romance type thing. And then it comes to the point where, uh, Shep wants, you know, Shep wants Gillian to like, you know, pony up and get married. Do you want to talk about that scene? Cause I know you had a lot of interesting ideas about that one. Thank Yeah. I mean, okay. So where to begin? So they've been together a couple weeks. And as you said, the scene starts out there in her kind of living room area that separates her shop with just like uh, just a curtain. A sheer kind of curtain separates her shop, storefront, her living room, and then kind of the rooms in the back of her apartment. You see um, a part of her her bedroom, and it's got, you know, black velvet and red velvet. And you can so you get a glimpse of her bedroom. And we see we've obviously a lot of action takes place in her living room, which has, you know, some of the art from her shop. And it's just got a big... Um, hutch for the drinks and some books and, and whatnot. So, um, and then you go into the kitchen for this scene. Um, mm-hmm. The, their, their little, you know, smooching on the couch gets interrupted by her brother calling her and, and the tea kettle goes off and she's like, Oh, Shep, go get that. So she goes in and he's like, what? I, I don't know what I'm doing here. And what's, you know, and <laughs> what's a tea oh, kettle? Okay. Yeah, it's a tea kettle. So she comes in and, this space is completely 
untouched, right? Mm -hmm. It's like she's put no effort into, you know, making this a space where she spends any time. There's a a bowl of, you know, ceramic fruit that Mm -hmm. I'm convinced is left over from the previous, (laughs) you know, uh, renter. Um, And uh, here she is making the tea. And this is when he goes, I I think we ought to get married. I want to marry you. And he's like, we've been together two weeks. We can't go on like this. I'm like, (laughs) like, what? Um, And she goes, isn't that the woman's line? Usually the woman's line. And then, you know, he's like, why won't you get me? She's like, I've I've never thought about getting married. I've, you know, have lived my life traveling. And and she's trying to explain. He's like, but why? And then he says something and she goes, uh, or he, she says something. I can't remember what it was. And then he goes, "Isn't that the man's line?" Yeah. And so they're they're in this tight space, dancing around each other. She's trying to explain why she doesn't feel like she needs to be married. Um, oh, and, uh, and he also, doesn't know she's a witch either. He, he doesn't, doesn't know. know she's a witch at this yeah, point. So he so, doesn't I mean, know what she'd be giving up either. Right. Because she talks about I'd be giving up a whole way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, well, okay, it's twofold, right? It's this witchcraft thing, but we would also argue like, her independence, perhaps, you know, yeah. and just what is this convention of marriage, especially in 58? Um, you know, it's interesting. Like, let me just put in really quick. Sure, like, do. When I, when I, I've been married twice and my first marriage was only for two years and I got married when I was 24 the first time. And there was like a weird thing that happened when I got married the first time where I feel like I got married and then I put on myself a bunch of cultural expectations of what being a wife meant. Mm-hmm. And and I think my husband at the time did the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we didn't know that we were doing this, but it was very obvious once we noticed it and we yeah. had to kind of like unlearn, like, this is what you should do. And this is how you should be. And, like, and by totally. the time I got around to being married the second time, I had sloughed that off quite a bit, but I think, yeah, even now, even in this, you know, century, but in the fifties, yeah, yeah, being a wife was different. Being a wife was different. Right. And, and gosh, I did that too. I don't think, well, I was going to say, I don't think my, my husband did, but you, there are definitely things that are important to him that I feel are classically the husband's role. And, 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 but he works really hard to not, be um a cliche and stereotypical and by far he's not you know um but i uh, immediately was like oh i'm supposed to cook and clean and this and that and yeah blah 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 and like whatever i don't like that crap so you know (laughs) 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 the bathroom's disgusting so anyway back to this scene where um i noticed this is the only scene where he is wearing not work clothes, not a mm. tuxedo, not a not his suit, not his coat. He is in this old man cardigan, mm. um, very much like cozy on the weekend. Wifey's making tea. I was like, oh man. Um, she, so he wants to marry her. She's like, I can't do it. And um, oh, uh, and to get out of there, she's like, oh, your shoes are are on the from a previous scene. His shoes got wet. I, remember and so they're drying on the radiator and she's like i don't know could i and she's talking to her cat and she's like could we could i do this would he find and, out later on and, and i guess like, and the cat goes Rawr! and she's like well i can if i want to so yeah. she rushes out he's in the living room now holding both teacups and she's like i i 
I think it was in our clip that we played earlier. Yeah, the I, you know, yes, yeah. I will. And he's like, Oh, I want to hear that again. She's like, I will. So they run to each other. He drops the teacups and they embrace, but she's still holding his shoes, which yeah. happened to be like his work shoes. I, I think they are his kind of, you know, everyday shoes. They're not like slippers. And she hangs on to those. And to me, I'm like, okay, she's, she's still hanging on either to her witchy self um, or like I'm thinking her independence, her place of business, her work, you know, um, she went to school for, she an anthro- to be an, not to be an anthropologist, anthropologist before anthropology. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, cr- you know, Wellesley, like, no less. I know, you know, um, so she's really smart. She's educated. She has a business. Um, what does getting married then yeah. With like, let's say if she wasn't a witch, um, how would that change yeah. all of those things? And and they, this idea of like he's saying things that a woman would say, she says things that a man would say, and he's holding the teacups, she's holding the the work shoes. You know these yeah. roles changing. Um, yeah, and I think that that's you know baby steps towards you know this partnership which i i would say my husband and i have we have a partnership division of labor um you know it's we each take care of our child we each work and we you know well i'm not working now but you know it's not like <laughs> it's not like he's saying woman stay home i mean when he does say <laughs> things like that he can't do, he does it just to tease me and like not serious at all he'd be like woman bring me a drink and he can't even finish it because he knows how stupid that he sounds. So yeah. he does it to be a gag. Anyway, so you interpret, that's... you interpret her holding onto the shoes as she's keeping some aspect of her power. I think yeah. so. I'm going to go I, ahead. I, I'm going to go I ahead and the put that on there. <laughs> I went the opposite way. I, I felt like when he gave up the teacups, he was saying, well, I'm not going to be this woman's role anymore. I'm not going to be domestic at all. I've won you. And her holding the shoes, I viewed it as a submissive gesture because she's actually you know, bringing something of his to him. Oh. Like, he has spilled the thing that they were sharing together, the tea and the domestic mm. thing. And she's bringing something to him. So that's, I viewed it differently, but yeah. I definitely think he's dropping the domestic part, but she yeah. hanging on to the independent yeah. working woman. Maybe. So then, so then let's see, we need to get to like what happens next in the plot. So mm-hmm. in the plot, in the story, um, Gillian has this conflict now because she has never told Shep that she's a witch let alone told him that she bewitched him to fall in love with her and caused him to leave his initial fiance. <laughs> and <laughs> that's kind of a difficulty. And then you, you were also interested in a different scene, the scene where she reveals yeah. her secret. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Sure, please. I loved it. Um, she, Jillian goes to Shep's office to tell him the truth. Our writer friend, what's his name again? Sydney Redlich. Sydney is there with um, her brother Nikki. Her brother Nikki. Yeah. Jillian has put a spell um, on the book. Oh yeah, that's um, right. So that it won't be published anywhere. And and reveal the secrets of the witches. Yeah, she exactly. So she's done that, and she um, is also there to reveal the truth about herself. So as she's telling, uh. Oh, she tells her brother first. She's like, don't worry, I'm going to tell him. And mm-hmm. he goes, it's your funeral. And she mm-hmm. is dressed in black from yeah. head to toe. She's got Including like a, a head thing, a, a, head, cl- a head thing, like a, like yeah. 
shawl over her head, you know, and then she's wearing black gloves for crying out loud. Um, so two things there. It's like she is dressed for her own funeral and the head covering bit, you know, plays a part in like as a symbolism of submission. Um, I, Actually, it's in the Bible where it talks about women wear a cover over your head yeah, because yeah. God and your and your husband is over you. Hmm. No, ain't nobody doing that right now. Not up in this house. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and and I noticed the main the the guy Jimmy Stewart's name is Shepherd, which seems religious to me now when I think about well, it. Oh, and her brother's oh, yeah. named Nikki, which isn't Nikki like can be used as a devil name or old Nick or something. <laughs> so that's so. weird. Yeah. Nicodemus. Is that right? Yeah. Or is that I don't want to like something? derail. I don't want to derail well, anything. You know, yeah, these are the themes that are, I think in there because I, on the second viewing. Okay. So he, in his office, it's a beautiful office. It's all like beautiful woods and he, you know, grays, earthy tones and bookshelf he, with a ladder, a bookshelf with, my, um, man, I want yeah, that. My husband's my like, my husband's like, we need that bookshelf. I know the bookshelf with the ladder had me drooling. Well, he climbs the ladder to retrieve a book. He gets a call and he says, like, okay, I'll get it. So he's busy doing something. And she's like, I'm a witch. I'm one of them. I practice <laughs> magic. And he's standing on this ladder above her. And they even do shots where he is looking down at her, mm-hmm. laughing at her, being like, oh, sure. And then, you know, this and that happens. And then she, a shot is looking up at him and, you know, pleading her case. And I'm like, wow, can we, you know, throw that in our face a little bit more but behind him most of those books are blue and i'm like oh wow can it be more like god up in the sky and you know huh. talking down or that i don't know huh. I, I caught that i again could be just putting that on but it's very thoughtful set design and costume design in this movie so i wouldn't be surprised right right i don't th- i mean right why make those choices when you're designing your set and designing mm-hmm. your you know, you're blocking and things like that. So, um, and the scene takes place in his domain, his place of power and control. Um, and she's, she's kind of, she's losing at the end. Yeah. He's like, okay, honey, sure thing. And she's like, fine, don't believe me. And she throws her leopard print cape over her shoulder and walks out. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's that scene where she confronts him didn't happen at her place. It didn't happen at the Zodiac. It happened yeah. in his spot where he's where his power and control is. So And then it actually takes him hearing that she's a witch from Queenie, her aunt, from a secondary source, for him to believe this. Yes. And, but, and then she spills the beans also on the fact that he was bewitched. Yes. But well, that's interesting because that that imagery of him being he's it's in they're in the hallway of their apartment building and he mm-hmm. gets up the stairs and she's down at the bottom and he's talking down to her again he's like what are you talking about this can't to queenie, be you mean? Like, to queenie yes yeah. and she's like oh oops i and then and then as she gets up the stairs and she spills the beans and he realizes he's been bewitched they're on equal level and mm. so i they echoed that him figuratively and literally speaking down to these women um these powerful women these these powerful women Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um and then and then he and uh gillian have it out have the big fight yeah basically 
he brings her like a broom, I think, and says, yeah, I'm done with you. Well, and he said, he, yeah. Oh, go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. That happens. Maybe later. Okay. Yeah, later. So, that happens later. Basically, mm-hmm. basically without going too like in the weeds to the whole plot, he then, he then tries to get back with his fiance. She's not having it. Mm, right. <laughs> he, that was your favorite line, right? When, when he well, tells for- Merle, he tells Merle his, his ex fiance, she's a witch. And Merle's like, uh, no, wait, he goes, he goes and that girl, you know, uh, Gillian, she's, she's one of them. And, and Merle goes, a witch. And Shep goes, yes. And she goes, Shep, you just never learned to spell. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's my kind of humor. <laughs> Which is pretty rich coming from Merle because apparently she was kind of a jerk in college. So, yeah, yeah, totally. But she's a painter, which is also interesting to me because like Jimmy Stewart rejects artists in both Vertigo and Bell Book and Candle. <laughs> he jilts artists in both movies. So there you That's go. That's really funny. Well, and Merle is some from Vertigo. She's some kind of artist up in that apartment with those clothes and those jewels and a maid, like a, a you know, someone oh, who yeah, the yeah. door. I'm like, what money is she making? Yeah. And then like all these other artists, you know, these beatniks and stuff like that. What? Well, Merle went to Wesley too. So right. Wellesley, not Wesley, Wellesley. Sheesh. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, so then he, after Merle rejects him, he then goes to find Nikki and Sydney and they introduce him to Madame de Passe, who's this uh, rival witch. And he goes, the, 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 it's not a super funny movie in my opinion, but the funniest scene in the movie, I think is when he goes to Madame de Passe's house and she gives him a love potion reversal potion. <laughs> yeah. And she's got this crazy parrot that keeps yelling things and he's acting with like, Jimmy Stewart acting against a parrot is really funny. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I thought it was funny as the three guys head out to the, her house Oh yeah, and, and they drop him off and like, he's stuck with these two, you know, yahoos and like, basically, <laughs> you know, it was, that was that bit I enjoyed, but, um, you didn't find the potion and the parrot funny? Not, not no, anything. that whole scene was too long for me. I skipped it the okay. second time, too. I'm like, okay, <sighs> get on with it. Yeah, I didn't find that really funny. But then but then Julie starts the one part where he says, she used a cat, and then the parrot goes, cat! And that Jimmy was Stewart, okay, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart's just a, such a funny straight man when you put him with a parrot. I don't know. I could watch a whole movie like that. <laughs> I'm weird. I'm very weird. No. no. I, I anyway, didn't do it. <laughs> the love potion reversal thing like supposedly works and mm-hmm. yeah, and he re- he re- then um but what but then like they're brought back together. And yeah. because uh what happens is he goes and he rejects her, he rejects uh, Gillian. Mm-hmm. And as he leaves, Gillian's like I'm going to curse your fiance. I'm going to you know, I'm going to like make dark magic on her or whatever. And Jimmy Stewart runs out and then she, she her cat, Piwacket, runs away from her. She can't get Piwacket to help her with her curse or whatever. And then she realizes she's crying. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, that means she's lost her powers. She's fallen in love. She's not a witch anymore. Yep. Yeah. So she doesn't tell Jimmy Stewart Shep about this, though. She feels like embarrassed, basically. So we, we know that a few months have gone by. And Queenie's worried about her. Her aunt's worried about her. And she's like, she, she's like, can't we do something? And so they send Piwacket to Jimmy Stewart's office. And 
he's allergic to this cat. He's always sneezing whenever Piwacket shows up. So there's like a gag about that. And he returns Piwacket in a trash can. Initially, I thought he was going to throw Piwacket out the window of the office. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> no. <laughs> which is Terrible. which is which is bad that I even could think that about a character. But like you know, in Breakfast at Tiffany's, they're throwing cats out of the back of a cab. I don't know what's going to happen. No. But no, he no. returns Piwacket to Gillian, and then we come to a very bizarre scene, which yeah. also has a lot to do with set design and costume design. Yeah, her whole store is completely different. Where before it had been, you know darkly lit and it had these these masks that were you know strange and and everything was just dark setting now everything is bright and white and it's flowers of the sea is what yeah, like shell art she's like shell, shell art <laughs> it's so exactly. random. this is weird she's wearing a white dress which um, looks like a freaking apron in my opinion yeah it wasn't my fave not compared to what she was wearing before but very flowy and feminine and even her apartment in the back was painted a, a oh. bright green before it had been darker hues and there's huh. flowers back there all of it the whole thing has changed she's she's changed yeah. um very much more well feminine and innocent like she blushes and these symbols of blushing and crying are so emotional and again feminine and things mm, like that i'm like it is feminine yeah 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 i'm like that's kind of barfy i, I was yeah. i don't know i yeah, yeah i know i hear you i i'm okay with like love changes you yeah i guess love changes you and you're in a relationship and there's compromise and stuff like that but like I, mm, we talked about like not, not only does she not have her magic powers anymore she has no friends anywhere she doesn't have a cat now and it's like it's, I mean she, I feel like Queenie's still her friend and her brother's yeah. still her brother but obviously they can't share the same interests anymore yeah yeah a lot of that's gone and she yeah well she says she's happy now I guess um, yeah, she says, I'm happy you gave something to me. You made me sad or something like that. She tells yeah. Chef. Yeah. And it's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels like there's been a change with her, but what's his change? Like, what was his journey? You know? What I do not know. <laughs> I don't think he had any. No. Um, no, I think he lusted after her when he saw her. But he yeah. had a fiance. So mm -hmm. he was going to still marry this fiance. And then she bewitched him. And so he could lust after her, like, without needing to be guilty about it. And yeah. then the spell was broken, and he sees her again, and voila, she's, like, one of the most beautiful women in the world. He lusts after her again. And it didn't, it didn't even matter to him that her personality has it's changed, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, her, 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 like, job has changed. It's like, I think this is probably a relationship based on lust, for the most part, on his side anyway. And, and honestly, I don't really see what she sees in him either, but... Other than maybe they have like, you know, chemistry. I don't know. Yeah. I um I was gonna say, I like that she still keeps her business. It's yeah, she does different. still have a business. Yeah. And it's which from, is good. Like still exotic places. You know, she's still doing her thing. It's it's just uh it's a little bit different. So yeah. I like that that still remains. Um yeah. a lot. So I do like the way he looks at her. Like he looks at her like, 
you know, I think he does it in vertigo too. Not just mm-hmm. lusty, but like with some tenderness, you know? Okay, okay. Um, I definitely feel more tenderness in Bell, Book, and Candle than vertigo, just for the record, but yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, well, vertigo is totes creepy. <laughs> but it's so awesome. Um, so those are my thoughts. And then at the end, it happens in her her domain, her That's turf. True. Yeah. And I, I like that. Um, and he says, you know, maybe the real magic is love. And that's yeah, sweet. that or, or maybe it's like, what, who can say what magic is or something like yeah, that? Yeah, who can say that's what magic is? Comparing magic and love, basically. Mm-hmm. And they kiss and it's like, happy ending. But yeah. outside, outside, you see Queenie's all like rooting for them and happy. She thinks it's great. And then Jack Lemon's like, ugh, I can't believe it. I can't well, at least see her brother's like, I can't believe you're doing this. Yeah. And then the yeah. last shot, though, is a freaking pie wacket on a, on a lantern because like on a streetlight because pie wacket is the boss. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. Why did it end on the cat? I'm like, I'm confused. Is that- Ty Wackett is the only actor in this movie to have won an award for acting. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I might be wrong. Who knows? There could have been some other acting awards that they received. Oh, man. But Pie Wackett won the prestigious Patsy. So that's, that's that. way to go, Pie Wackett. Um, so an interesting thing, like I wanted to, oh, sorry. Um, I wanted to move on to some of the things that this inspired a later witch stuff. But if you have more you want to say about. Well, I was going to say that I read that this movie wasn't well, well received when it came mm-hmm. out. It was like, it just, it was like, eh, okay. It wasn't like a blockbuster. The they People loved it, but it didn't flop either. So I feel um, uh, like, yeah, I can see that. Cause I, I, well, this leads into what you're saying about the things that uh, this inspires later on. Yeah. I feel like when you're talking about witchy things and you're trying to be funny and yet kind of dark, uh, like there's a tonal thing that I'm not, um, it's hard to balance. Either you're going to be funny about it or you're going to be like the craft or something. So so the things that, that it directly inspired that I know of, like that, are, like the creators actually said it was one of their inspirations, Bewitched, which came out in 62, Okay. Um, was directly inspired by Bell Book and Candle and the other movie, I Married a Witch. And obviously in Bewitched, I, I actually went and watched an episode of that just because I hadn't seen it since I was a kid watching reruns. Yeah. And it actually held up kind of well. I was like actually laughing at this show. It really? held, holds up way better than some of that other stuff I used to watch in reruns. And in that one, Samantha the Witch, she is married, but she keeps her powers and she's always yeah. using her powers. And it's like a source of humor in the show. It's like what the show is about essentially. Like, right. but she also doesn't have like a job. I don't think during that show um, she's um, she's a homemaker, but she's also a witch. So in a way it's like a little better deal for her, but you know, she also doesn't have a shell art store in Manhattan. So <laughs> in Greenwich village. Come on um, true. <laughs> And then the other thing that I know that was directly inspired was um, Anna Biller directed The Love Witch, which came out very recently, like in the last few years, which is one of my favorite films. And it's a, it is a very dark comedy. Um, it's more, sort of a horror movie. It's a dark comedy horror movie. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's very much vintage-y. And, yeah. thinking, and a, a witch who's kind of obsessed with love. But she also keeps her powers. <laughs> Yeah, and like in later years, we've had a lot of like you are a big fan of practical magic. You said, "Yep." And we have also like the witches of Eastwick, and in these movies, different you know different relations happen between witchcraft and love. Um, if I recall, I I haven't seen Witches of Eastwick in a long time, but that kept its that definitely had a 
a dark humor, t- you know, and it was, it kept that tone through practical magic. Um, again, I'm not sure knows if it wants to be dark because they're kind of spooky parts and it's kind of dark and yet also like whimsical kind of cute rom-com and then uh, so but still one of my favorites like i let it go but i'm still like tonally i'm not sure what you're trying to do here or it's not really i don't think it really works but everybody's pretty so i'll keep watching it so um so what's do you have a favorite production or or movie involving witches or are you just kind of not a big witch movie fan no i do like witchy things but i don't like being scared so um where I did look, what's the one that you like so much? You just said it. The Love Witch. Oh my God. The I love love Witch looks, it does visually, is so amazing. Um, but it calls it horror. Like right away, I'm turned um, off by horror. I'm it's like, not oh, really, it's not, it's not like, it's not like horror, like where you're probably going to feel scared by it. <laughs> Maybe a man no, would no, feel I'm more scared by it. Because I think if anyone's going to be scared, it would be a man in watching that movie. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, even Witches of East Wick kind of scares me a little bit. So I well, they, they are vomiting cherry pits in that one, at least. So yeah, yeah, that's that's eerie. <laughs> that's creepy. Yeah, um, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Yeah, what about so, you? What well, just the Love Witch is my absolute favorite. So, and I do like Witches of East Wick, but it's a very it's a little it's a little dated to be honest. And in some ways. I don't know. In some ways, I'm more forgiving of Bell, Book, and Candle because it's so old that even though uh, it's dated, I'm like, I expect it to be dated. But since Witches of Eastwick was made in the 80s, like, I'm less forgiving it. of it. No, but it does it. have a great cast of Susan Sarandon, Cher, and Michelle Pfeiffer all in the same movie. So that's awesome. Okay. So if I were doing a double feature of the, with this movie, I would either do it with Vertigo or I would do it with The Love Witch. Those would be my choices. Oh. I don't know if you've given any thought to whether you'd do a double feature, but. No. I no, you don't want to watch it again. So, <laughs> <laughs> not really. Yeah, no. that's fair. That's fair. So, I just wanted to also just give before we finish the podcast, and and if you think of anything else you want to say, we can add that in certainly. But I wanted to give a nod to that Criterion streaming service, though, which mm. like I'm gonna. It's gonna seem like I'm advertising for Criterion because last time we were talking about Moonstruck, which just had a Criterion. Blu-ray release, and this time we're talking about something on the streaming platform. I swear, nobody's giving me any money. I just love it. I and there's so many older movies on Criterion. So if you're a person who loves older movies, if you're a person who loves kind of far out movies like short films or like independent films, if you're someone who likes like foreign productions, like Criterion is for you. It's it a it's a good value. Yeah, yeah, same. I was just flipping through the library. I check. I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch that. I'm going to watch that. <laughs> oh, that one too. Yeah. And just yeah. things I feel like were are hard to find, you know? Oh, yeah. like, so for I have to- Babette's Feast right now. I, I don't know. Ooh. By the time by the time this podcast comes out, maybe it won't be there, but I think it might be. Babette's Feast is a great movie. They've got Harold and Maude right now. They've got It Happened One Night right now. They've got so many cool movies. Like, I, like I'm, we're definitely going to review Netflix films during this the course of this podcast and mm. things that are on hulu etc but mm. honestly i think for for value you're getting a lot more with criterion than you're getting from netflix and netflix is so full of junk sometimes that yeah it's it's just overwhelming to me yeah i hear you mm. i'm gonna go ahead and say yeah to that <laughs> 
<laughs> but anyway, yeah. So is there, do we have any other final thoughts about Bell, Book, and Candle before we uh, ring the bell, close the book, and quench the candle? No, I mean, it was a good time. It was all right. Um, <laughs> go for it. So Sophia's partially well, excommunicating it. it. I would go for it for a couple reasons. Because, I mean, Jimmy Stewart's beautiful blue eyes. Oh, um, oh this is they just were, they were beautiful. The I was like, look at those eyes, man. And then um, Kim Novak and all the clothes were Oh, the clothes are amazing. Stunning. Yes. Yes. They were the clothes, so beautiful. I think the costumer was Jean-Louis is what I want to say. Okay. I hope, yeah, I hope like, I'm not wrong about that. But yeah, those costumes were remarkable. And they really, they really aided the storytelling as well. They did. And it says in the credits, gowns, by yes, you know, yes. and you're like, whoa, you know, you're going to get something awesome. So I would do it just for that. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I will definitely be watching this movie again. Like it grew on me, but I think part of it is just because it's an excellent movie. If you love cats, I, 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 have a, <laughs> I do. I, I have, I always notice when there's cats in a movie, I have my favorite rom-com cats. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I want a whole podcast on that. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Well, maybe we could do best pets in rom-coms because I don't know if we get enough from just the cats. Ooh. And then we could bring in the cats and the dog lovers together. Okay. I'm down. I prefer yeah. dogs. The truth about cats and dogs, must love Whoa. dogs, et cetera. <laughs> you know, a lot to cover there. And then I could talk about Fat Louie from The Princess Diaries, who I love. <laughs> All right. Oh, my gosh. It's what my daughter's watching right now. The Princess nice. Diaries. Nice. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Good choice. All right. So, Sophia, I really had a great time talking to you today about a bell book and candle and podcast listeners. If you want to find our podcast, it will always be available on everyromcom.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, suggestions, comments, please email us at feedback at everyromcom.com. Thanks for listening.